Welcome to the Ashley and Jessicast. I started this podcast because of my love for Jessica and Ashley Simpson, but due to the support of my amazing listeners, I have been able to expand to other topics as well to feed my pop culture obsession and yours. Join me as we time travel through some of the most interesting figures in music, movies, TV, and beyond. I'm your host, Leah Russo. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of my JC Shazé series. This is going to be part four. Today, we are talking all about celebrity and the beginning of the end of InSync. Oh my goodness. I don't even want to say that. Let's not say that. It's the beginning of the hiatus <laughs> of InSync. And I don't know why I lie to myself, you guys, because I do this all the time. I never thought I would be doing a whole episode on the celebrity era just because I thought, you know, I'm focusing on JC himself. I'm not doing a whole series on InSync as a group. So I thought that I would just have less episodes and maybe not go as in-depth. That's very hilarious. How do I not know myself well enough by now? So... We're doing a whole episode on celebrity and then the next episode will be the breakup of NSYNC because I really like to listen to my listener feedback and so many people have said you're going to cover the breakup of NSYNC, right? Like not just from JC's perspective, but the whole breakup and I totally get it. I know why people are curious about the details of that. It will still be focused on JC. This is a series about him, but I will be giving all the details that I personally know and doing some additional research as well, trying to get some tea for you guys. But today we are going to talk about the celebrity era and oh man, this was one of the most special times of my childhood, I think, because I finally got to see NSYNC live. I actually got lucky enough to see the Pop Odyssey tour twice and the Celebrity tour once. And if there is anything that this taught me, it is see your faves while you can. So here is your sign if you happen to click on this and you've never heard this podcast before. Hi, <laughs> my name is Leah and I am here to deliver a sign from the universe buy the concert ticket. Just do it. I don't care if you have to not eat for a week, go to the concert. Okay, I know that's horrible advice. That is unhealthy advice. I'm not a doctor. You don't have to take it. I'm just saying it's like that line in Sex in the City where Carrie says when she was broke and she first moved to New York, sometimes she would buy Vogue instead of dinner and she says, quote, I felt it fed me more. That is me with music, you know. When I go to a concert, it is just the most renewing, amazing experience. And now that I am 22 years removed from this Pop Odyssey tour, I can honestly say that I am so grateful to my parents for taking me. It is so appreciated because now that that was their last and second to last tour, I'm just so grateful all these years later that I saw them in person and I felt that energy. I was actually just re-watching the Pop Odyssey Tour DVD and I remember what it felt like. You know, I watched that and as soon as that typewriter comes up on the screen, oh my god, you guys. <laughs> just, I, I, we're not even into the episode yet. Like, I was, I should have waited until this segment to talk about this tour, but I don't care. So, and I will, I will, trust me. But I just want to say that the whole 
pop odyssey concept is so good and I'm gonna get more into it later but I have to tell you guys it really affected me as a kid being in that crowd and seeing that typewriter type those words on the screen I remember what it sounded like in the crowd I remember how I felt when I first saw them come out I remember almost every song it is such a vivid clear memory in my mind and I can't tell you how much it means to me that I got to see it and there have been many many NSYNC fans that have contacted me and said oh my gosh you got to see them live you're so lucky some of them are like 17 years old which I love that so much that you weren't even alive (laughs) and you love NSYNC that is awesome that was totally me becoming a fan of like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and stuff when I was little and it had been years since they had been together but music is timeless and eternal I mean maybe not some of these songs on this album maybe some of these songs are not quite timeless in the sense that they do sound very much of their era in some cases but as far as being able to love music and love a group and appreciate them no matter what time you're currently living in and what time they were relevant that is timeless. So, oh man, I love NSYNC so much. I'm so excited to talk about this era and this album with you guys. And also, if you have any stories, please contact me, DM me, let me know. I just want to know. I I just, I enjoy talking about these times in our life. So it was amazing. But obviously, coming off of the no strings attached era, NSYNC had a lot of pressure on their backs so we need to talk about all of that but first I just want to remind you guys this is a series and this is part four this is very much a complete story and I put a ton of work into these series I literally research every little detail that I possibly can every time I tell myself that I'm not gonna spend four hours looking for a single quote I, again, it's I lie to myself. Like, I just am delusional every time. I always think I'm going to be more concise, and I'm just not. But you know what? That's what you guys really love about this particular podcast is that I do these deep dives, and I hear so many compliments from people saying, I love that you went that in-depth because I've always wondered these things, and now I know. So thank you to everybody who has supported me. Now, let's get into NSYNC's Celebrity Era. <laughs> Well, we actually have a song on the album called Celebrity, and it's kind of like uh, we're, we're poking fun at ourselves. I mean, uh, the whole cele- the whole idea of a celebrity and, you know, glamour and blah, 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 blah. We just kind of laugh at it because people don't see. There's a lot. I mean, people know that there's a lot of work involved, but, you know, it's kind of like weird. They don't see it. They just think that, you know, you'd show up on the red carpet and everything's wonderful and and everything like that. And uh, we also like to poke fun at ourselves. You know, we haven't done anything major. There's no, like, anything hardcore that we're going political or anything like that about. It's just, it's all about us growing with our music and taking our sound from where we had it on the last album. And giving and, it new energy. And yeah, giving it new energy, uh, putting a future to the sound. We just drop the songs and whatever, and kind of throw everything against the wall. Whatever sticks, sticks. It's, it's you know, the creative process. That doesn't mean our tracks are sticky. By 2001, NSYNC was astronomically exhausted. (laughs) You guys know why if you've listened to my previous episodes. But in addition to all of that, they had just come off of their record-breaking epic No Strings Attached tour, which ended officially on December 1st of 2000. And NSYNC had been very, very clear 
about the fact that they were not going to be recording their new album at the same time that they toured because they had been hustling so hard since 1995 that they were always doing like three things at once. You guys have to remember that even though No Strings Attached definitely did something to make people respect NSYNC a little more, the bubblegum pop genre in general was just very looked down on, very much seen as something for little kids, seen as not real music, and these artists like NSYNC, Britney, Christina, Backstreet Boys, etc, etc, were always getting put down and kind of cast aside as far as respect in the music industry went. Now, they were making millions upon millions of dollars and they were the biggest acts in the world, but as far as the industry goes, it was still very much like real artists are over here and NSYNC and Britney Spears are all the way over there in this other place. Like, they don't belong together. So it was extremely legitimizing to gain any shred of respect outside of that bubblegum pop box. So what NSYNC wanted to do as Celebrity is basically elevate everything to the next level. They felt that that is what they had done with No Strings Attached. They had broken out of their initial debut sound and all of their legal drama and all of that. But now they wanted to go up to the next level. It was almost like they were climbing the ladder of music industry respect. So now they were just going to go from that no strings attached rung up to the next rung. And they weren't exactly sure what that rung was going to be or where that would take them. But they knew that they once again just wanted to elevate everything they had done before. So they wanted an edgier sound. They achieved that with No Strings Attached, but now they wanted it to be even edgier. They had called the music on No Strings Attached dirty pop instead of bubblegum pop. And now they were literally going to be using the term dirty pop to kick off their new album. And so they really wanted to be different. They wanted to be innovators of the music industry as opposed to following trends. Remember, in sync essentially created themselves. A lot of people feel that Lou Pearlman created them, and that's not true. If you listen to my series, you know how NSYNC was formed. You know that Lou Pearlman did not find any of the members of NSYNC. That was Chris. Lou Pearlman just wanted to produce a copy of the Backstreet Boys so that he could be essentially the king of pop groups and make all the money that he possibly could. And that is why he hooked them up with all the same producers and writers as the Backstreet Boys, and why he sent them down the exact same path, and why he put those groups against each other, and lied behind each other's backs, and all of those things. But NSYNC was formed because of a genuine love and dedication to music from all five of these guys and their families that helped get them together and get them promoted and get them in the right space to be the absolute best that they possibly could be so that when people are comparing them to the Backstreet Boys or other pop acts, they will stand out. And NSYNC was very focused on completely shedding the idea that they had been just manufactured on a conveyor belt after the Backstreet Boys. And it's so interesting and wonderful that these five men actually were the incredible artists that they were and are, because they could have just been five cute guys who can kind of sing and dance, and I don't think they would have the legacy that they have now. But because they were genuinely so talented and they had the work ethic and the passion to back that up, 
they became this legendary group that we are still talking about even though they have not released new music since 2001. One of the things that often legitimizes a musical act is when they are nominated for or win Grammys. And I personally think the Grammys are kind of a joke. In general, I think awards are kind of silly, but I understand why they exist, obviously. But I pay the least attention to the Grammys. However, NSYNC did not feel this way, okay? They were five young guys that had worked really, really hard, and they had seen all of their idols win Grammys. And so, you know what? They actually really wanted to be acknowledged by the Grammys and be nominated, and who knows, maybe even win. The previous year, they had been nominated for two Grammys, but strangely, they were both for collaborations. So it was kind of like the industry was saying, all right, all right, you're good, but you're not good enough to score a nomination on your own. You need somebody else to pump you up there. So they were nominated for the song that they did with Gloria Estefan called Music of My Heart which was released in conjunction with the Meryl Streep film of the same name. This was yet another thing that had been offered to the Backstreet Boys. First, they rejected it and then NSYNC took it on, which honestly was a big mistake for the Backstreet Boys because this was a huge song. It peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and even garnered an Oscar nomination. So the boys got to perform at the Oscars with Gloria Estefan and they performed this many other times. It's always a really great performance, especially because JC is very obviously the star of this song and every performance. I love watching him sing live in tandem with Gloria Estefan. He slayed this performance every single time. And they were also nominated for their collaboration with country group Alabama, which I'm sure seemed really random to NSYNC fans at the time, but it was actually a brilliant marketing move because it gained them some respect in the country community, especially after it was validated with a Grammy nomination. So they had re-recorded their song, God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You, with Alabama and did a new music video for it. So that song had a little bit more of a moment than you would have expected and ended up getting nominated for a Grammy, like I said, but I think it just really says a lot about the fact that the industry was not willing to accept sync on their own at the time. They were kind of saying, all right, you aligned yourself with people that we consider to be a little more legitimate than you, and you've been able to hold your own alongside of them, so we'll give you a nomination because they're carrying you, but you don't get one of your own. So it was kind of a big deal, and people were waiting to see if this success with No Strings Attached, which was this unprecedented success that they had had, would also gain them the respect of Grammy nominations on their own. And JC was really nervous. He was even quoted as saying, I'm gonna puke, dude. I'm scared. I'm really, really nervous. And we've seen this before. I mean, you see on the Ashley Simpson show when she doesn't get nominated for autobiography, she's very disappointed. These things really do mean a lot to artists in the moment. And they do feel like they're being left behind when their peers are getting nominated and they are not. So didn't sync end up grabbing that nomination of course they did so bye 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 was nominated for record of the year which damn it really deserved it okay it was the record of the year i'm sorry okay 
I'm not gonna sit here and diss you two, like, respect, but come on, NSYNC was the hugest group in the world. How could they not win record of the year for Bye Bye Bye? I understand why they didn't win album of the year or anything. I mean, they weren't even nominated for album of the year, but lord, I mean, it was the album of my year, let's be honest, but anyway, they also were nominated for best pop performance by a duo or group with vocals and that was the album no strings attached that was nominated and you two won that award as well like okay whatever then they were nominated for best pop vocal album and steely dan won i just oh man nsync deserved that grammy i'm sorry they really did Ugh, i just wish nsync had at least one of those grammys on their mantles but you know what they have a lot of moon men, so we're good. That's what's really important to uh, that generation, I feel like, is ruling the VMAs. They ended up being nominated three more times. So they were nominated for Gone, which was Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. They were nominated for Best Pop Vocal Album again for Celebrity. And then in the following year, 2003, they got a nomination for Girlfriend, which was also Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. They did not win any of them, but you know what? Screw you guys. You're incorrect. However, none of this mattered because they did something... <laughs> That was so much more iconic than winning a Grammy. NSYNC was a part of the best Super Bowl halftime show of all time. Yes. Yes. I said it. It is the best Super Bowl halftime show ever. It will never be topped because, look, <laughs> I remember watching it live. It was an epic night. I remember everybody was so excited the Giants were in the Super Bowl. And on top of it, NSYNC and Britney were performing. Not only that, but they were performing with Aerosmith. And once again, this had first been offered to the Backstreet Boys, which I think is ridiculous because I'm sorry, Backstreet Boys fans, but by this time, NSYNC had taken the throne. I get it. The Backstreet Boys are great. I'm not saying they're not. Not trying to start a stand war. But by this point, I feel like NSYNC should have been the first choice. Like, when are they going to be the first choice? You know, you're my first choice, guys. Love you forever. But Backstreet Boys actually opted to do the Star Spangled Banner instead because they wanted the respect. Like I said, this was a major topic of the time. It was one of those things where it must have been really confusing for the groups themselves because here they were being absolutely worshipped by millions of fans. And yet a lot of the rest of the world was like laughing at them and not considering them to actually have real talent. So I'm not surprised that the Backstreet Boys turned this down. And I'm so happy because NSYNC's always been my favorite. So, oh, I am, I just, I can't imagine them not being in this. The thing is, it also really legitimized NSYNC to be performing alongside Aerosmith because at this point, Aerosmith had a ton more respect than NSYNC did because they were one of the greatest rock bands of all time. They had been releasing hit after hit literally since the 70s and now they had come out with their most recent album of the time called Just Push Play, which is actually a phenomenal album. I've always been a fan of Aerosmith, and that's actually one of my favorite Aerosmith albums. And they were really having a moment at the time. It was really the last time that Aerosmith was 
very pop culturally relevant. Like, yes, they've released a lot of music since and done a lot of tours and they've always remained relevant. But this was when they were actually on MTV still. So them performing alongside Sync was kind of like the best of both worlds. It was like, okay, we're going to get all of the older people to tune in because we have Aerosmith. And then you're going to have this group in sync, which is the biggest pop act in the world besides Britney, right? Like the two of them were kind of the titans of that time. And of course, she was there too. So you're going to get all of those young kids to tune in as well. So it was really just perfect. And then on top of it, they added hip hop in there, which is so important. So you're getting the rock music, you're getting the pop music, and then you're getting the rap and R&B in there too because you have Mary J. Blige and Nelly as well popping up in this performance. It was everything. Like, I'm, I'm like, I can't explain to you how epic this felt at the time. I remember watching it live and being beside myself. Beside myself. It is still one of my favorite pop culture moments of all time. I watch it every year when it's Super Bowl time. I miss when pop culture was like this. It does not feel this way anymore. And I know I've contemplated that many times. I'm like, is it because I'm older now and I was a kid then? Or have things really changed? The thing is, none of us can experience it both ways. So we'll never know. But it just, oh man, it just does not feel this epic anymore. They also did a comedy sketch to introduce the performance, which I actually find genuinely funny. So I'm going to include the clip here. As MTV presents the E-Trade Super Bowl 35 halftime show. This is Swack, I'm approaching the cage. Repeat, I'm approaching the cage. Where are my rock and rollers and out of controllers? Okay, that scares me. Okay. Can I just say that I get freeze? No, I don't consider myself a halftime coordinator. I consider myself a a pageant piston, if you will. Okay, that in sucked. All right. This is my friend DJ Stanley Steamer. Oh, and thank you for getting about the streets, yo. All right, love it. Embrace it. Just know it's sexual. It's sexual. The hand saying hello to the crowd that paid the money. Bye bye bye. New school. That's what you learn. New school. Any pose. Ask me. Ask me. Yeah. Yeah. like a lady. Focus back here. You are in sync, Smith. You are Aerosync. You are a super duper super group that's about to rock it hardcore. Now go and pop the mother off this hamburger stand, please. They are genuinely funny every time they do anything comedic. I didn't mention the sketch that they did at the movie awards. I believe it was 99. They did it with Lisa Kudrow, who was hosting that year, and it was a spoof on Armageddon. Please go watch all of these. The only thing that I don't like about it is they have NSYNC running out the door in the sketch, and then they transition to them running out into the field onto the stage, which I think is really unfortunate because NSYNC sung live at the Super Bowl halftime show. A lot of people do not sing live 
at these types of performances because they are kind of a technological nightmare in terms of getting everything exactly right how you would want it to be for a performance of this caliber. So it's actually really impressive that NSYNC sung live, being the type of pop group that they are that is going to be doing choreography. Obviously, everybody knew Aerosmith was going to sing live, but... For NSYNC to do that, I think definitely gained them a lot of respect. Some people did comment with how they sounded out of breath, but they ran across the freaking football field. And actually, it's awesome that they open with Bye 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 because JC obviously sings the opening verse. So his voice is really strong, actually, despite the fact that they ran across the field and then were doing their full Bye 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 choreography. So I feel like he made them look great. And for the level of performance that they were giving, I think they gave a great performance. And I have to say that growing up, I was a huge Aerosmith fan. I still am, but especially during childhood, that was a major, major band for me. So hearing them collab and actually sing together, I mean, it still gives me chills when NSYNC is doing the part of It's Gonna Be Me where they all have their own moment where they're singing different notes and they go, it's gonna, 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 gonna. And then you hear Steven Tyler come in and sing, it's gonna be me. I think that is so cool. Like that gives me chills just to see two of your favorite bands ever collaborate like that on the biggest stage in the world it's so exciting and then to top it all off they bring out Britney I mean come on I'm if that doesn't send you to heaven nothing will I mean I think that when I cross over I actually will just be transported directly into that big pit of fans and that is where I will live out my time in heaven honestly I know some people greet their loved ones and their former pets yeah yeah whatever I'm excited to see them but I think that my <laughs> version of heaven is seeing this performance live and can you imagine how NSYNC must have felt I mean come on and Britney we all can say whatever we want about Justin and Britney I don't think he treated her right many people say that she didn't treat him right either but you know what in that moment they must have felt like the king and queen of the goddamn world can you imagine I mean it's just oh it's everything I could cry um one thing I do like about the running is not necessarily in sync running to the stage but I love that they created this effect of fandom like teen fans freaking out and running to the stage because when NSYNC comes on the stage they start their performance and then there's this overhead shot of the stage and the field is mostly empty and then you see fans running to the stage which I think is such a cool effect because it's kind of showing the cultural impact of NSYNC just the fact that they had them start performing and then they have the crowd run in after them I just feel like it really captured the energy of this time period of Y2K pop music being the biggest thing in the world NSYNC's dancing too is so good in this I love the way that they're staggered down the ramp during it's gonna be me and Lance gets to be in the middle for once which I don't know why people are always commenting on how bad Lance was as a dancer I mean yeah he admits he did not have any dance experience he was a singer but I think he did a good job. I'm so happy that he got to be like smack in the middle on the Super Bowl. That is amazing. I'm just so proud of them. And I think this performance is one of the most legendary, iconic performances ever given. So NSYNC was in the recording studio working on Celebrity from January to June on and off of 2001. And the album ended up being released on July 24th. It debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard 
200 chart and the first week sales were 1.879 million copies in the United States, which became the second best debut week sales in history. Of course, they were behind themselves there. So they still held the record, but they did not beat it with celebrity. And honestly, as silly as this is, they did get a lot of press about how, you know, they had not managed to break their own record. But the music industry at this point was changing so much that it makes sense that they would not sell quite as many copies as they had the year before, but this was still an outstanding achievement, especially for a group that had been called a flash in the pan so many times. For them to even come out with another album that did these kinds of numbers was truly impressive. It was the third best-selling album in 2001. I never would have known this, but... (laughs) As far as album sales from January 1st, 2001 through December 31st, the top-selling album was Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park that had sold 4.8 million copies by the end of 2001. The second one was Shaggy. Who ever would have guessed that Shaggy beat Sync for sales of a new album in 2001? I'm shook by that. So Shaggy came in with 4.5 million copies sold by the end of the year. Celebrity had sold 4.421 million copies in that 12-month period. And really, it wasn't a 12-month period. It was much less because it came out, obviously, in July. Linkin Park and Shaggy's albums had come out in 2000. So they had a head start. So I feel like this isn't really fair. NSYNC should be in the number one spot. It's hard to gauge what the top album of 2001 was because if you want to say what's the top album that was released in 2001, then it would be Celebrity. But I do think that it's really cool that the top three spots belong to three totally different genres. You know what I mean? Like it was just interesting how many different artists we were presented on a daily basis that were huge pop stars, even if that wasn't the genre that they were in, they still were popular music of the time because pop means popular music. It doesn't mean bubblegum pop necessarily. So just very interesting how things in the music industry change over time. So the total sales of Celebrity reached almost 6 million and it was certified five times platinum compared to No Strings, which was certified 11 times platinum And the no strings total U.S. sales alone are over 14.5 million. That just goes to show how massive no strings was. Because we're talking about Celebrity, which was also an astronomically huge album era and had two huge tours. Celebrity was no slouch. So I just feel like it really proves how unprecedentedly ridiculous the No Strings Attached era was because that was the type of success and era that nobody ever even dreams of because that's like absurd Michael Jackson in the 80s type of fame. And the celebrity era and album, that's your regular run-of-the-mill, absolutely huge superstar 
era. Still something that most people in this world will never even come close to, but very small compared to No Strings Attached. Again, it just shows how massive No Strings was. So during the making of Celebrity, NSYNC was reaching out to new collaborators. Many people have commented over the years that Celebrity is kind of an inconsistent album in that almost every song sounds different from the one before. It's not very cohesive, and I think that was a conscious effort on behalf of NSYNC because they really created this hybrid album of everything they had done before with a twist. Again, it was similar to what they did with No Strings Attached, but it was just elevated up to the next level. So they had JC and Justin working on songs just as they had the previous album, but this time they were even more involved in the production. And then they also went back to Rip Rock and Alex G as collaborators specifically for JC to write songs with. And then they had... Max Martin come in of course as well because I think even though they wanted to move away from that sound a little bit they had gotten their one and only number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 with It's Gonna Be Me and that is a Max Martin song so you know Jive was not gonna let them get away with not having a Max Martin song on this album and that's fine because we love Max Martin but they were also seeking out entirely new producers for this record because they did want it to have a very unique sound from no strings. Now, a lot of people just would have made No Strings Part 2. I'm telling you, I see it happen all the time in the industry. I'm not going to name names, but there are a lot of artists out there. They have a hugely successful record, and then the next record, they have basically the same sound because they're human and they want continued success and they're afraid to do something different and that's completely fine. I don't look down on artists that do that but I have a hell of a lot of more respect for people who do decide to evolve their sound and find new people to work with just to play around and see what do our voices sound like when we go down this road. I find it fascinating and oh gosh I just wish there were a couple more in sync albums because I think they could have gone in so many different directions. I truly think that these five men are so ridiculously talented especially vocally but really in so many different areas they could have put out an album in every single genre and slayed do you guys hear that are you listening jc i'm gonna i know you're not listening to this because you probably would never listen to a podcast about yourself but i'm trying to telepathically communicate with you right now you can do whatever you want on a new insane record okay trust me we will love it and just thinking about insane doing an album in the future it just it it makes my girlhood tremble as helga from Hey Arnold would say. But anyways, <laughs> one of the producers that they sought out, specifically JC, so we have him to thank for this, is BT, aka Brian Wayne Transau, who is a very experimental artist in electronic music, dance music, trance. I mean, Wikipedia describes him as an American musician, DJ, singer, songwriter, record producer, composer, and audio engineer. So of course, JC would be the person to pay attention to him and say, wow, this person is doing some really interesting stuff that is kind of pop adjacent. And this would be a perfect person to bring into our sound and see what he can do with it. I mean, I honestly cannot tell you how fascinating I think it is when established iconic artists reach out to somebody like this to make their music a little richer, more layered, more interesting for lack of a better word. Like it's just 
such a smart thing. And I love JC because he's like me. He's like a little fangirl. He actually convinced BT to work with NSYNC, who didn't really want to work with them, by the way. He was really in his own lane. He didn't need to be on the top of the charts or anything like that. JC just started going to BT's shows and basically begging him to come work with NSYNC, which is everything. Like, I can't tell you how much I love him for that because I've had some amazing experiences with my favorite artists just basically from being annoying and walking right up to them and telling them I love them or tweeting them or things like that. So persistence and passion for an artist pays off. So MTV did an article on BT around this time talking about his collaborations with NSYNC and Britney. And he said, believe me, I thought about NSYNC what a lot of people that aren't 14 years old and female think about NSYNC. Not that I hated them. It was ambivalence. I just didn't care. Then NSYNC's JC Chazé started popping up at BT's shows last fall. Soon the two were talking and eventually hanging out with each other's friends and girlfriends, including Justin and Britney. They're so cool and level-headed, BT said. I know people that are extras in films that have more attitude than them. Then he heard his new friends sing. I thought, hang on a second, these guys may be a groomed, commercialized thing, but they are really talented. Still, he was hesitant. JC was saying we should do a track. I said, I like you guys a lot, but it's probably not right for either one of us. I thought it would freak out everybody. One night, Justin called me up and he said, dude, you've said no to this shit a bunch of times, but I want to do a track with you like Hip Hop Phenomenon, which is on the UK version of my record. It's a crazy underground new school breakbeat track. He said, you can do whatever the hell you want with our vocals. Anything. And that was actually the straw that broke the camel's back in convincing BT. So, yes, I have to give Justin some credit. You guys know I don't like doing that, but... <laughs> it was a it was a team effort on Justin and JC's part here. MTV says BT took Timberlake's vocals to hell and back and still found a finished product the kids can groove to. Pop is beat it on ecstasy and that wasn't an accident. I was totally going for Michael Jackson, BT said. When Justin was singing in the studio, I kept shouting Michael at him. <laughs> so what resulted is one of my favorite songs from 2001 for sure pop is a very unrated single in the NSYNC oeuvre in my opinion I didn't really realize that until I started doing research for this podcast and I got more involved in the current NSYNC fandom I would have had no idea because when I tell you that NSYNC was my world <laughs> during this time I mean Britney too like I said they were the titans of the pop music industry and my life I was even more obsessed with them in 2001 than I was in 2000 I know that for many fans it's the opposite and many fans really would have preferred no strings attached part two and like I said there's nothing wrong with that who wouldn't want more of that great album but for me the new direction was perfect and I felt like even though I was a really young kid I totally got what they were saying with pop I love the lyrics I love how they are saying like look we get it you think that we are just a flash in the pan bubblegum pop act that was manufactured on an assembly line and popped out like any other plastic product that you would buy at the dollar store but we're not we are music lovers we are so happy doing what we are doing music is everything to us and we don't really care what you say. We're going to keep doing our thing no matter what because we do have that rooted, organic passion 
for what we do. We are not just people that were plucked out of nowhere because we have okay voices and we're cute. We genuinely were born to be in this industry. And they said it in this way that was such a fresh and new sound. No other pop act sounded like this, I'm sorry. When JC was asked what his favorite tracks on the album were, he actually mentioned pop first. He said, I'm going to pick pop as one of them just because it's got an energy that I don't think anyone has captured. He's right. To me, it's the one track, even on the radio, that just stands out. It is so unique. It's got a mixture of everything. It goes from, it's got rock guitars with a dance beat with harmonies and aggression in the vocals, as far as like the chanting. And I think it's just got an energy that nothing has right now. I love that track. He mentions his other favorite track on Celebrity, and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that this is his other pick because this is also one of my favorite songs on Celebrity, and it is Do Your Thing. So JC said, I think I like the last track on the album. It's called Do Your Thing, and we worked with a group of guys named Pajam. They kind of got their start doing gospel and things like that, and the vocals on that song are just great. When you listen to the harmony, there is something really special in them, and they've got a great feel. Guys, I can't tell you how much this song helped me as a young girl growing up. Just hearing in sync basically validate my feelings on myself was everything to me because I looked up to them so much and I always felt like I was really different and I still kind of feel like I'm out of step from the rest of the world. I've always just felt like I was a unique person and I was bullied a lot in school and of course I was in school around this time. So hearing NSYNC and this album with this amazing message of be yourself, do your thing. Whatever you are, that is who you should be. You shouldn't be anybody else. It was a really important message. In sync, they got some flack for, you know, talking about sexual themes and stuff like that, especially with digital get down. But then on the other hand, they have this message to young people that I think is such an important message. So I'm gonna read some of the lyrics right now. Keeping yourself from taking on your perfect dream, you gotta free your mind. And being something somewhere that you read in a magazine, but you never let you shine. There ain't no excuse for losing your feet, drowning in your defeat on this road of life. There ain't no excuse for coming up short, the ball is in your court, so reach up and touch the sky. Are you doing your thing and doing it well? Are they looking at you hate and saying, ooh Sorry, I have to sing it. I can't say it. That would be blasphemy. So... I just love that because I definitely felt like I was, I had haters saying ooh and stuff because I was always performing in school things and community shows and stuff like that. And I kind of felt like half the school would think I was so awesome for doing that and would come up to me like a fan and be like, oh my God, oh my God, you were so amazing. And then the other half of the school would literally torture me. Like I got death threats just because I was a performer like we had to have meetings at the school with my mom and their mom and all this kind of crazy shit just because I wanted to do my thing <laughs> and so I really related to this and I feel like I've said this before I've said this about Jessica and Ashley and Brittany and Madonna and Janet and all these people that I look up to these artists really gave me strength from the time I was a kid until today this very day I get up every morning and I listen to music that I love. Some of it is inspirational, like this particular song, and some of it isn't at all. Some of it is just a fun song about, you know, Jonas Brothers. You feel like summer, baby. Like, whatever. I just feel like those artists that I love have kept me going and inspired me. 
and taught me so much more than I ever learned in school. So that song was major for me. So I really appreciated that JC came out and said that was his other favorite song, especially because he did not take part in writing it. So JC co-wrote four songs on the record. The Game Is Over, The Two Of Us, which is actually my favorite song on the whole album, Up Against the Wall, and Selfish, which was produced by Brian McKnight. So I just think it's really JC of JC to say that his two favorite songs from the album were not even written by him. It's kind of ironic that Pop was co-written by Justin and Wade Robson, who's their choreographer. And let's be honest, if you're listening to this, you know who Wade Robson is, but he wrote this with Justin and then it was produced by Justin, Wade, and BT. So JC doesn't have a writing or a production credit on the song that they did with this guy that he kind of chased after. So once again, JC not getting the credit he deserves. One of the particularly interesting things that I learned about this album recently and I had never known was how NSYNC decided on the tracks that would make it onto Celebrity. So I saw conflicting reports on how many songs were actually written and workshopped. It seems like there were about 30 to 40 songs that could have ended up on this album. And then they recorded between 25 and 30 songs and then sat down with Jive and they were able to narrow it down to 15. Now, trust me, this is really, really difficult because you're sitting there with a bunch of executives who may or may not get you. Obviously, artists have talked so much over the years about conflicts with record labels. But then you have the five of you, right? You have five guys who have different opinions and mindsets and ideas for what this album should be. So NSYNC had to really get a united front on the songs that they really, really wanted to push through regardless of what the label said. And remember, when they had signed with Jive, it was very important to them and it was a condition of signing with them that Jive would give them more creative control. That's why they didn't have to record their new album at the same time as they were still on their No Strings Attached tour. Whereas with Lou Pearlman and Transcontinental, they had no choice. They had to do everything at once. They had to pump out as much as possible constantly. Then they spent six hours with these Jive executives listening to the songs over and over and over and over. And unfortunately, a song called Fallen, which was written by Chris, got removed, which sucks because I think Chris, as I've said before, is so talented, so underrated, and I do wish that he had more leads in InSync because he does have this beautiful high voice, and I do think he is such an extremely talented person. And then, sadly, I swear by JC got removed from the album, and this song has since leaked, and it is very Michael Jackson. I mean, very, very, very Michael. And I think that's why it got removed, because ultimately it is kind of derivative, but I mean, I feel like everything since 1983, in a way, in this pop music world was derivative of Michael Jackson. Like, it's very clear when you look at NSYNC and Britney from the beginning that they're basically doing impressions of Michael and Janet Jackson. So I'm not surprised that they removed it because I do feel like it sounds more Michael than it does in sync. But 
it's an interesting song to hear because at the time, JC and Justin, this isn't as widely known as I think it should be, but JC and Justin were writing for Michael Jackson. So of course they idolized him, worshiped him, looked up to him, and we'll talk about them collabing with him. But they actually had been in touch with Michael long before anybody really knew that they were because Michael was a genuinely big fan of the group. Gone was intended as a Michael Jackson song as well. So Justin wrote it for Michael Jackson to perform and first he rejected it. So then NSYNC decided to record it for Celebrity and they had already done that when Michael called back and was like, hey, I actually changed my mind. I uh, do want to do the song, but I want to do the song as a duet with Justin. And at that point, they couldn't take it back from NSYNC. So it never ended up happening. But I just think that's fascinating what was going on behind the scenes with Michael Jackson and obviously it just must have been crazy for Justin and JC to have their idol even considering recording their songs. I mean can you freaking imagine it wasn't even that long ago that nobody knew who NSYNC was like when you think about the trajectory of this group it's absolutely crazy that Michael Jackson was like, yeah, send me a few songs. Maybe I'll put them on my album. And speaking of Michael, we have to talk about, we have to have to talk about, oh my God, the pop performance from the 2001 MTV VMAs. Now, nobody really remembers this <laughs> except Stans because it was the year that Britney had the snake. It was also the year that Justin's mom showed up with her own cornrows. Okay, Justin had moved on from that. She was still there. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, I love this performance because I am a huge fan of Andy Warhol and pop art and the whole concept that they had. I love the dancers. I think the dancers look so cool. They're all painted different colors. Like some of them have green skin or blue skin and then like orange hair, or bright pink hair. My favorite is the girl that is just like walking around with a lampshade on her head just kind of like indiscriminately and then I don't remember which one but one of the guys like pulls off her lampshade so she can finally see and like dance with the rest of the dancers. It's everything and again it's like nobody else was doing anything like this at the VMAs you know it seems obvious like pop was such a huge concept and yet nobody thought of doing like a pop art type of thing I don't know I just think it's really interesting that they had that idea so how did this whole thing come about with Michael well Michael was very smart he knew that he needed young artists to help him stay relevant you wouldn't think somebody as big as Michael Jackson would need that you would think he's this untouchable being but remember at this time I mean there have been a lot that had come out about Michael Jackson. It wasn't just the accusations legally. It was all kinds of rumors and crazy stuff. And I mean, I personally around this time was a huge fan of Michael Jackson. I was literally raised on Michael Jackson. So like, I mean, I think there's a lot of times where older artists work with younger artists and their fans are like, why are they working with these young kids? Like, you know, it's almost like this young artist hasn't earned the right to work with this iconic person or something. But it's really important to stay relevant over the years, you know, and it doesn't matter how big you are, how big of a superstar you are, there's always going to be some young kid that has no idea about your impact and doesn't really care. You know what I mean? But then if they see you on stage with sync, different story. So I was not one of those kids, though. I was one of those kids that knew everything about Michael Jackson and the fact that my favorite group sync, was on stage with Michael. I mean, it was just beyond it. It blew my mind. 
So basically, Michael had not been on stage in years. He was very reclusive. He stopped touring. And he was doing this 30th anniversary concert at Madison Square Garden two nights. And he was going to bring out all of these celebrity guests. Now, this was aired on CBS. So if you missed it, I'm pretty sure it's still on YouTube. I haven't watched it in a while. But I taped it off the TV. Used to watch it all the time. He asked NSYNC to be one of the guests and he had this great idea to have the Jackson 5 come out and then the five of of them in sync and then the 10 of them would all do this big performance and I mean it was so cool. Of course in sync was honored, they said yes. And then they said, "Well, we're doing his show, we should get him to come on the VMAs with us and be a part of pop. And so they wrote a verse, a new verse in pop for Michael Jackson. I cannot believe that this never saw the light of day. I would have loved to hear this verse. And they were so amped on it. Like Joey said that it was really good and it was like celebrating the fact that he's the king of pop and everything. And of course, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know who exactly wrote it in the group if all five of them did it together, but I'm guessing it was mostly Justin and JC, right? And obviously they love Michael and everything and look up to him so much. So I'm sure the lyrics were very like honoring Michael and all of that stuff. So out of the five of them, Justin was the one who had the closest relationship with Michael. So Justin talked to Michael about it privately and Michael agreed he would love to do the show. He would sing the verse. He would dance the whole thing. Then they got a call and it was Michael's people and they were being very nasty and they were saying like Michael is doing his debut performance for the first time in all these years at his 30th anniversary concert. He is not doing his first live performance with you guys at the VMAs. It's out of the question. Nothing is happening, period. And I think the attitude was really the main issue there because they have a point. Like, it was kind of silly for Michael to agree to do a show just a couple days before his big 30th anniversary show. You know, that's supposed to be publicized as the big show that he is coming back and doing. So if he appears with NSYNC at the VMAs a couple days before, it's just kind of like anticlimactic. So they had to get him out of there, but they could have done it in a nicer way. So of course... NSYNC and Johnny Wright, their manager, they're feeling kind of offended by this. And Johnny was like, what do you guys want to do? And they were like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you're going to go do his show, but he's not going to do your show. You know, that's kind of shitty. And they were like, hey, (laughs) you're right. And so they called Michael Jackson's people back up and they were like, bitch. They didn't say that. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But I assume they didn't. That was me. Uh, (laughs) They're like, we're not doing your stupid ass 30th anniversary show. Again, that isn't what they said that's me uh you know we're not doing your stupid bitch ass lame show because you're not doing ours so you know you went back on your word sorry bye 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 they were really nervous about that because obviously this is a huge opportunity to help legitimize them to that older crowd as I've been saying they still were seen as these like teeny bopper bubblegum pop acts for kids you know like that is what Britney and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys were seen as So the opportunity to perform on stage with Michael Jackson, who has this older audience, I mean, it's kind of like a win-win for both of them. You know what I mean? It legitimizes NSYNC to the older people. And then for the younger people, they're like, oh, Michael Jackson is cool. He's on stage with NSYNC. You know what I mean? So you might think that Michael Jackson would be like, "Eh, you know what? Fuck them then. You know, they're not going to do my show. I'm not going to do their show. Let's just forget the whole thing. Like, we don't need them. But like I said, Michael was smart. And he knew that NSYNC was the current reigning kings of pop. I mean, he probably didn't admit that to himself. But, you know, NSYNC was at the top of the heap the way that Michael had once been, you know, selling 
crazy amounts of albums and breaking these records. Like, he had been in InSync shoes. So he knew that he needed to have them on his show. You know what I mean? Like, one thing about Michael, he wasn't an idiot. You could say a lot about him, but he was no dummy. So he was like, we need InSync on the show, okay? So... InSync's management and Michael's management literally negotiated down to the second of how long Michael would appear on that stage. And they said there's no way he's singing because we need to still be able to market his show as the first time he is singing on stage since whatever year, I can't remember, sometime in the 90s. Michael refused to show up to any rehearsals. It was a huge secret. It's not like there was a placeholder for Michael. It just ended. So nobody knew, like the crew didn't know. And on the night of the show, InSync is kind of like hanging out backstage with their thumbs up their asses. Like, is this going to actually work out? Michael shows up 10 minutes before the performance and just kind of like does a little dance, you know, make sure his shoes are all good, like whatever. And that was it. He's like, I'm ready. And so then they're waiting backstage to go on. And uh, Joey and Lance are coming from the same part of the stage that Michael was. So um, they're back there with him. And then a crew member just like hands Michael a microphone, I guess absentmindedly, not realizing that he's not singing. And all of a sudden, Michael starts freaking out. And he's like, Joey, Lance, <laughs> get over here. I, why did he give me a mic? I'm not singing. I Do they think I'm going to sing? I'm not going to sing. Like he's freaking out. And Joey and Lance are like, um, excuse me, guys, can you please take the mic away from Michael Jackson? This is not okay. Like they're freaking out too, you know? I mean, think of the high pressure situation of like dealing with somebody like Michael Jackson you know what I mean like just someone who's that big of a star but also this like very eccentric weird guy and then you also have you know you've had this kind of like argument you've you have some tension and this is all like very weird I mean that must have been very nerve-wracking right before they go on stage and perform and so InSync gets on stage and performs they kill the performance and then Michael comes out and does his king of pop dance I mean I was so excited about this like I said because I was a huge fan of both so I was just dying like it was amazing but I even thought that this seemed awkward like back then before years before I even knew the story because I just thought it was weird that Michael he just kind of dances uh freestyle which is great I mean he's one of the best dancers of all time like that's not really a problem but it didn't really feel as good as Michael usually is you know what I mean like it just and like it was still awesome like and exciting but it was just kind of like a little off so I wasn't really surprised when I heard the story and the funny thing is is like during this little dance that he does JC is like making all these noises like he's going like woo ow it almost sounds like he's trying to sound like Michael like I'm surprised he didn't go Shimon like it's just it's, it, like it's so funny I don't know it's just always made me laugh but I am surprised that at the 2001 VMAs they didn't do something that was a little bit more about them, you know, because I feel like Michael being in this performance, it, that is what makes it truly like memorable. Even though I really love the pop art, I feel like this isn't really thought of as like an iconic sync performance or anything, you know what I mean? All these years later. And I feel like that's because it, it wasn't about them. Like it ended up being kind of iconic because of Michael, but it wasn't really anything that they did. However, you didn't see the Backstreet Boys on stage with Michael Jackson, right? And I feel like InSync and Britney had this thing over Christina and Backstreet Boys. Like, InSync and Britney just understood how to create a moment. I'm not even saying that they're better than Backstreet and Christina. It's not that. That's preference, right? But you can't argue that they're they're nowhere near as iconic as InSync and Britney. 
And I don't know if it's their management or if it's just that they understood more what pop music of the moment meant and they also aligned themselves with the right people like Michael Jackson and Madonna to kind of raise their status up and make them more iconic. But it's just interesting to me how... I mean, I can't, I can't remember at all. Like, what would be an iconic Backstreet Boys performance? Like, I don't, they're far and few between, and I'm not trying to diss the Backstreet Boys, okay? You BSB girls, do not come after me. Like, I literally don't care. It's fine. I love the Backstreet Boys. I just think that's so interesting how some people cross that threshold into being iconic, and, and some people don't, even though it's not like they lack talent or anything like that, but it's just, they, they, I guess they do lack a talent for, sensing what will end up being a big moment in the future. I don't know. Just kind of interesting. I just went to YouTube to check for I Swear and it's not there anymore. Oh my gosh. I wonder who removed that. Was it JC's team? Like I don't – oh my gosh. That's so interesting. Was it Sync's team? I don't know. Oh my gosh. I'm going to try to find this song for you guys and maybe I'll post it on my Patreon or something. That's wild. That actually kind of gives me hope because if people are deleting stuff like that, then maybe there is a chance that JC is going to release music in the future because why take that off YouTube? It's not making any money. It was never officially released. So that's very interesting to me. And so regarding Gone, which is one of the best songs on the album, I know that everybody who is not the biggest Justin fan thinks this song was kind of a ripoff for the rest of the group and that it was basically just Jive trying to showcase Justin and soft launch his career but I have to say I disagree I mean when you put it in the context of what ended up happening after with the group ending and Justin going solo it seems that way but I honestly think this is just a very 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 good song do I wish that we got to hear JC on one of the verses or do I wish that JC just got to sing both verses of course I do but it was written by Justin it was Justin's song so it makes sense that Justin would sing it there were opportunities before for JC to sing two verses and there also could have been opportunities after that even just NSYNC's backing vocals on Gone are perfect they are beautiful like I cannot express how much I absolutely love the song Gone and even at the height of me feeling like Justin Timberlake was a slug I still would listen to the song all the time because it is a brilliant song Gone is about as raw as it gets, JC told Billboard. It's just us and a beatbox with just a tiny accent of acoustic guitar and violin. That song is a proud moment for us. It really shows how tight we are as a group. And I agree. That's a perfect song in my opinion. Let's talk about the in-your-faceness and the aggression on this album, especially from JC. So... I think it's really interesting how angry this album is. And I think that's why I love songs like Do Your Thing and The Two of Us and Gone. Because the rest of the album is very much, this is kind of like a fuck you album. Some of it is fuck you to the world and some of it is fuck you to various girlfriends that I guess they had that were using them and cheating them and treating them horribly. Which is kind of crazy. Like the whole concept of the song Celebrity, I think is so strange because they were five young hot guys and they're basically sitting here describing a gold digger. And when I think of that, I think of, you know, a gorgeous young woman with like this old crotchety crypt keeper 
on the verge of being in a coffin type of guy. <laughs> and here we have NSYNC talking about that. And there were rumors that Celebrity was based on one of JC's girlfriends. And I'm going to talk all about that in the Patreon episode. So like I said, join the Patreon if you want to hear that. And if you want to hear an extended version of this episode as well, like this episode you're listening to right now, that's also on the Patreon. Shameless self-promo. Anyway, <laughs> back to the story. I think that's really interesting because JC is so gorgeous and talented. I would think it would be impossible to gold dig from him because how can you not care about JC? I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm obsessed with him that I just can't imagine. Who would not want to date him, especially in... 2001 I mean Jesus but it's interesting because Chris apparently made a comment about it that suggested that it was about JC's girlfriend which I find interesting because he was still dating her during the release of this album so it's not like they broke up and then this song was written also JC didn't write the song the song was written by Justin and Wade so I guess people are implying that Justin and Wade wrote it about JC's situation and maybe he couldn't see it at the time who knows this is all speculation like I said we'll get into it in the Patreon episode but it's crazy like why wouldn't they be able to find people that really cared about them but I think it is a symptom of being super famous once you become famous you genuinely don't know who is there with you because they love you and who's there with you because you're famous or rich or have some kind of power or status in your specific industry. There are so many things about fame and wealth that show us that they're not all they're cracked up to be and this album is a great example of that I think that's why it's called celebrity they were trying to be kind of satirical about this they were trying to poke fun at the whole concept they were trying to point out we had the biggest album of last year we broke records we didn't even know if we would get here because we were being sued for our name and everything that we were worth. We should be on top of the world right now. We should be on cloud nine. But we have all these complaints. And it's not because we're complainers or because we're ungrateful, but it's because there is a really dark side to having that type of success. And part of that dark side is not knowing who you can trust and feeling used by a lot of people and I mean it even happens to me and I'm nowhere near a celebrity but I'm in this industry and I always notice and I clock it every single time so anybody listening out there if you know me personally and you do this trust me I clock it anytime I have some kind of win in my career or a personal gain sometimes I don't even post it on social media sometimes somebody else does for instance I worked with a high profile person recently and they posted it on their social media and people saw that I was affiliated with that and people that I haven't talked to in a very long time, suddenly they're very interested. They want to know how's everything going. And it's like, I can see that you don't reach out to me unless I have achieved some type of success that you find valid. You know, like I could achieve 10 million other things that you don't even know about because they're not exposed on social media for all to see. But you don't care about that. You only care about the flashy stuff. So if me, someone who has nowhere near any type of fame that NSYNC had is experiencing that. Imagine how it is for somebody at their level. 
Oh my God, <laughs> that scares me. That actually scares me. So I really understand that aggression. There is an article here that Larry Flick did for Billboard and it actually opens with, Justin Timberlake's jaw is getting a little tight. The topic of conversation is NSYNC's forthcoming album, Celebrity, and for a guy asserting that he's completely cool and happy, he sounds a bit angry. The truth is that it can be tiresome to be continually blasted by critics because we don't fit their preconceived notion of what a credible group is, Timberlake says. I wonder if they listen to our music before venturing an opinion. And I really think... I'm not trying to defend Justin, Lord. And we're going to get into this more in the next episode because that's when we're really going to talk about the breakup. But I think part of the reason why Justin never went back to NSYNC is not because he is this cocky asshole that thinks he doesn't need them and is so much better on his own and all of that kind of stuff. Is some of that true? Yeah. But I honestly think it's because he was just so tired of being in this box of this bubblegum pop genre. And so that's what I'm talking about with the pressure that NSYNC felt because they had reached the absolute top, the maximum of where you could go as this pop group. And they were trying to figure out how to evolve their sound and gain more respect. And I think that Justin, because he had solo success, and he was a little bit more legitimized as a, quote, real artist on his own. I think he just didn't want to go back to people saying that his music that he worked really, really hard on, that all five of them were putting their blood, sweat, and tears into, wasn't real music. I mean, again, going back to the Super Bowl performance, I guarantee you there were people like friends and family of Aerosmith. I guarantee you bet anything in the world would bet my home on this. That people were saying to them, Come on, it's ridiculous that you have to perform up there with these kids. You know, you guys are the real artists that they wanted, but they just have to have NSYNC and Britney on there because, you know, they want to get the young people. But, you know, if it was just based on artistic merit, it would be only Aerosmith up there. You know that. And you know that Aerosmith themselves was probably like, really, we can't just do this ourselves. And it is because of the reputation that they had. I mean, even if you go to the celebrity Wikipedia article, one of the first things that it says is how... NSYNC was not considered a legitimate musical group. They were just considered this assembly line manufactured bullshit. And it makes sense that that would really frustrate Justin because whether or not you like him, you can't deny that he's a hardworking, talented artist. You know what I mean? And anybody that puts that level of work into what they do and passion deserves some level of respect. Like I might not love and adore the guy, but you know what I mean? It just, it makes sense. And that's why I'm going to look at so many different perspectives and so many different articles and everything when I am doing my breakup episode. So it's going to be epic, guys. So tune into that next week. But the article continues... Looking around the cavernous Cleveland area where the act is about to play another show in a string of sold-out gigs, Timberlake releases his tension with a deep breath, eventually flashing a wide smile. In the end, it's no big deal. We make music for the people. Right now, we're extraordinarily blessed. We're reaching a lot of people. Still, it's undeniable NSYNC wants respect. After selling 14 million copies of 2000's No Strings Attached, the act is ready for a pat on the back. Enter Celebrity. More than No Strings Attached and the group's 1998 breakthrough, this project strives to be an accurate expression of their musical point of view with Timberlake and NSYNC colleague J.C. Chazé co-writing 10 of its 13 tracks. The two also participated in the album's production, collaborating with BT, Rodney Jerkins, Brian McKnight, and the Neptunes, among others. 
Our objective was not to be self-conscious and try to make another hit record, Chazé says. Instead, we set out to make a record that was more reflective of what turns us on musically. We also wanted to prove that pop music comes in a lot of different flavors. It's not all bubblegum. And this song has so many different flavors. I mean, it's crazy how the sound changes track by track. And I think it's also really indicative of JC's solo album, his one and only completed solo album, Schizophrenic, which we are also going to talk about in the future. Now, that is probably the biggest criticism of this album and of Schizophrenic. So I actually have a theory that this era and this album was not created to soft launch Justin Timberlake. I think this era and this album is actually a lot more indicative of JC's idea of what he thought the group should be doing. Because then he does that on his solo album. I mean, if you think that Celebrity is not a cohesive album, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph come to the dinner table and press play on Schizophrenic, okay? Because that album, I mean, every track is like wildly different from the one before. It's it's a lot. I mean, I'm a fan of the album. I love JC, but you guys know what I'm saying, especially if you're familiar with it. So I personally think, just based on all my research, that JC actually was more of an influence on the direction that this album was going to go than Justin was. To me, okay? I know that everyone thinks this was Justin's big moment, but... I really think that it was spearheaded by JC. I mean, the guy was going to so many different BT concerts just trying to flag this guy down because he was like, please, we need you to come give us a different sound. And if anything in the world could be described as a different sound, it's JC's solo album, Schizophrenic. So that's my opinion. And the article then goes on to discuss how it was a very unique choice for NSYNC to start their Pop Odyssey tour long before their album was even released. So they were performing a lot of songs that we got to hear for the first time during the tour, which was so exciting. Oh my god, I'm gonna get beclamped, you guys. <sighs> okay. I, I, like, deep breaths. So... <laughs> I wonder how many times I'm going to say that before we get to the end of this episode. Just deep breaths. It says, Gone is among the six celebrity tunes included in their set for NSYNC's current concert tour, which was launched more than a month before the album's release. It's a new idea, notes Johnny Wright, president of WEG Entertainment, the Orlando, Florida company that manages the act. We're bringing a large portion of the album to fans before it's available in stores. It's unusual to play so many new songs in concert, but it seems to be working, Shazé says. By the end of each one, the crowd is with us and singing along. That's a good sign. Jive president Barry Weiss agrees. The fact that audiences are responding so well, so immediately to these new songs in this setting is incredible. It indicates to us that we've got an album of immeasurable creative and commercial depth. The tour is a whole nother ball of wax. Half the tour is the new album. We recorded the material and then went straight to the rehearsals and, and got it down. This will be the first time people actually hear Celebrity. They'll see it live. People are going to hear songs they've never heard before, and we're going to get to see their immediate response from that first listen. That's cool. NSYNC is scheduled to remain on the road through August, after which the members will take a break to explore outside projects. Still, Chazé insists that, quote, nothing will seriously distract us from working on this album harder and longer than any other we've ever made. And that was true. I mean, they did work on this album 
longer. I mean, I wasn't there, so I can't say harder, but they did work on it longer than any other project that they had worked on. So, so that was definitely a departure for them. And if they had stayed together, or even if they had done... Uh, you know, Michelle Williams recently came out and said that if it was up to her, Destiny's Child would go back and forth between doing a Destiny's album and then doing solo projects and then a Destiny's album and then solo projects. And it's really sad, right? Like Beyonce and Justin are in this awkward position where they know that they're holding back their friends, you know, their brothers, their sisters, like they're more than just friends. You know, these people are like family. They know that they're holding these people back from having these huge careers again because they are like the stars but at the same time they can't neglect their own artistic desires right like it's just a very complicated thing and again we're gonna get more into that in the next episode but I just wonder what it would be like if NSYNC was going in between like a Justin record and then the other guys working on their various solo things and then an NSYNC record and back and forth I wonder how much time they would spend on each NSYNC record I like I would kill to know what they would do today with oh my god please let it be a reality where can you all manifest with me please because I really we need we need a uh, group effort on this one there's also a great article by Chris Connolly of MTV called in sync gets dirty and it says the men of in sync wouldn't be taking the stage for another seven hours but a few hundred fans were already gathered outside the Rose Bowl gates screaming their love on the first day of celebrities release the fans may have been busy learning the words to the songs from the band's new studio album, but they already knew the tune that even after years of ceaseless touring, recording, and promotion, not to mention selling more records in one week than anyone in history with no strings attached, these guys still enjoy their work, their fans, and one another's company. If celebrities' dirty pop represents bona fide artistic growth for the group, what hasn't changed about them is just as impressive. They're still friendly, unpretentious, and always willing to chat. And chat we did about their songwriting, hooking up with Stevie Wonder, and how their fame has affected their private lives or what's left of them. So Stevie Wonder played harmonica on Something Like You. Which, by the way, another thing I've noticed a lot of NSYNC fans say is that the ballads on this album are just kind of okay and they don't compare to this I Promise You. False. False. I love the ballads on this album. I think they are beautiful. I think they are boy band cheesy perfection while also having some genuine truths in them that actually aren't so cheesy and are just beautiful. For me, it's not that they don't stand up well to this, I promise you. I just think that they kind of live in the shadow of gone because something like you and Selfish are very much traditional in sync boy band cheesy ballads, right? Very simple lyrics because they don't have to be complicated because they're unadorned. They're straight to the point. I can't stop thinking about you. I love you. I promise I'll never hurt you. Please trust me. That kind of stuff. I love that kind of late 90s early 2000s pop ballad cheesiness to me it works and if you have stevie freaking wonder playing on one of your songs and then the other one is written by jc just don't talk to me about it not being good are they amazing compared to gone no but that is because gone has a completely unique sound for this band and this era so while I do think that something like you and Selfish don't quite stand up to Gone, I love them and I love them as part of NSYNC's discography. So I don't know. You guys let me know what you think. 
Obviously, I'm not going to read this whole interview. You guys should check it out. I am going to read the JC highlights. So Chris Connolly said, JC, you say in the liner notes of the album that this was the most difficult year of your life. Why is that? Now, again, what an interesting question, right? I had mentioned in the No Strings Attached episode how that album was a lot more aggressive, but Celebrity just amped it up so high. I mean, almost every song, it feels like they are upset about something. And I think that JC's mental state had a lot to do with that because as I said, my theory, it might be unpopular, but I think that this album was more JC influenced than it was Justin. He replies, just because it's been a roller coaster ride. But it's like, okay, <laughs> I can't even let him get through more than one sentence without commenting. But the thing is, we know it's not just because it's been a roller coaster ride, you know? I mean, he is not being 100% honest because for you to put in your liner notes of your album that it's been the hardest year of your life, I mean, that's pretty major, you know? It's not like he just told friends and family this. He put it in the liner notes of the album. Okay, let's just keep that in mind because I feel like with this whole series, we're piecing together because remember I said my thesis of this series was why does JC not release, write, produce music under his name as a solo artist, right? Yes, he writes and produces for other artists and his name is on that. But I mean, as JC Chazé, why doesn't he release his own stuff? I think we're piecing it together, guys. I really do. I mean, the no strings attached year was the most difficult year of your life. Dude, most people would think you were on top of the world. And again, this ties into something I have touched on many times on this podcast, whether it be with Lindsay or whoever. Being famous is an amazing thing. And I think we all or most of us grow up thinking, maybe I could be famous. What if I did become famous? You know, maybe I want to. But then once you, your brain starts to fully develop and you're like, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I don't know if I want to be known around the world like that. Because I do think that as much as you gain being famous, I think the price, I think the cost, girl, it's high. It's high. Anyway, let's, <laughs> let's hear from Jay-Z. This record is tough because we're trying to do three things at once. Okay, so again, I have to interrupt him. Remember what they said. Remember what was really important to them. That they wouldn't have to do a bunch of shit at once like they did with Transcon and BMG and Lou Pearlman, right? And here he is saying, look, we had to do all this shit at once. Mentally and physically, this has been, for me, the hardest thing I've ever done is the album and the tour at the same time. I think that we've all kind of leaned on each other and really gotten each other focused. You know, we stay in each other's face and say, you gotta, you gotta do this. And, and uh, that's where it kind of, that's where it's been great, you know, between the five of us is the five of us have each pulled, you know, each other into something when they haven't been in it. And uh, we've really focused each other on each thing at each time. I'm going to start over. Just because it's been a roller coaster ride. This record is tough because we're trying to do three things at once. The last record, even though we had a lot of adversity, it was one thing at a time. You record the record, you promote it, you go out on tour, and you breathe for a second. This time, it's everything at once. We were still recording while we were preparing and touring and promoting all at the same time. The workload has been triple what it usually is. This tour has been nicer because it's big and we have days off in between, but the days off are usually filled with something else. So your head's got to be in three different places instead of totally focused on one thing at a time. 
So that is so interesting to me, right? Because they had said specifically in their Jive deal, as I said earlier, that they were not going to do that anymore. They were not going to do 50 things at once. And so on No Strings Attached, they didn't. You know, they got into that cycle that's more appropriate that JC's talking about where you record the album and then you do the tour and whatever. But it's kind of ironic that they went back to that style of doing things with the celebrity album and the tours. And I think they did because of, again, everything I said before, like they really wanted to prove to people even further how they were a legit musical act. They were not just a manufactured plastic pop set of dolls, despite appearing that way in a music video. (laughs) And then Connolly replies, well, BT has been talking about what perfectionists you guys all are in the studio too. JC replies, we've always expected the best out of each other. We're our own worst critics, so we're going to beat it up until it's right, at least in our eyes. We are going to make it as good as we can, always. Everybody that we encounter usually says that we're hardworking, and it's great to get it from people that you look up to as well. At one point, Chris asks, do you have a second single chosen yet? And they all said in unison, no. (laughs) One thing about being in a boy band, you say things in unison, okay? So (laughs) JC said, this has been the toughest decision we've had to make on the record so far. It was easy to pick the songs to go on the album, but it's hard to pick the single off of this one because everything is so different. They chose Gone, of course, which I do think was a good choice because I do think that that's a phenomenal song and I do think it showcases all of NSYNC's greatness. I mean, maybe if you're just a casual viewer, you're tuning in to Gone and thinking, oh, this is the Justin Timberlake show. But I really think that the way that song is structured is perfect for the group as a whole. There are a lot of reasons to maybe say something negative about Justin Timberlake, but I really don't think this is one of them. And I think that being angry at Justin for being featured on this song or being featured heavily in the marketing of this album, I just feel like that is only perpetuating this myth that this album was Justin's launching point. You know, it really wasn't. I'm sorry. It's not like the label manufactured him as a solo artist. Justin always wanted this. And he did naturally stand out in a way. For me, JC stood out more. But even back in the early days of the group, like I remember he was always the favorite. This is not something that happened because of celebrity. I feel like the label and the group was responding to what the public had responded to. So of course, if you know all these people love Justin, you're going to put Justin front and center to promote the group as a whole because guess what? Any way that you can get attention for your group, you are going to want to do that. I blame Justin for a lot, you guys, and you guys have heard me do that, but I just don't blame him for this. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it a million times probably, but I totally hear what JC is saying. The songs are so different, and I don't know what I would have chosen as the second single instead of Gone. Like, I kind of feel as though they could have done Girlfriend second and then Gone after, but no, I think that Gone was the right choice. I would have loved to see them go in a totally different direction and maybe as a fourth single release Do Your Thing or The Two of Us, but I know that that's kind of 
that's just a Leah fantasy because in the end they probably would have if they had released a fourth single it probably would have been celebrity or I don't know maybe tell me tell me baby just because it's Max Martin so I don't know I feel like No Strings Attached is one of those albums where basically any song could have been a single and it would have been fine like they would have had (laughs) they would have still been huge and everything it might not have gone to number one but I think all of those could have worked as singles but with Celebrity it's a little different one of the things that I think is funny is how on Celebrity they have this doesn't really have to do with singles but I don't know I just thought of it how they have tell me tell me baby and then they have just don't tell me that (laughs) I just think that's an interesting contradiction oh forget it I know what I would have done for fourth single on celebrity up against the wall (sighs) girl I mean this is a JC song and one of my best memories from seeing them live is this song. I cannot tell you. I was a competitive dancer at this time and all of NSYNC's entire discography for my friends and I was basically just a challenge. We saw it as a challenge. We were like, okay, let's choreograph dances to every single one of these songs. And Up Against the Wall was just one of those songs that I responded to so strongly because again, it didn't really sound like anything else out there except for Craig David, right? So JC was kind of fascinated with this music style called two-step that was popular in the UK at the time. And again, I mean, look at JC doing his research and reaching out to all different types of people and trying to diversify their music as much as possible. I mean, even if you just look at the songs that JC wrote on No Strings and Celebrity, like, the variation I mean come on like he wrote selfish the game is over up against the wall and the two of us those are four vastly different songs even the two of us and up against the wall both of them are two-step but they sound so completely different from each other I just I'm sorry I was actually watching the celebrity tour last night and I got really sad because I was watching this really shitty transfer of it, you know, because somebody filmed it on their 2000 Sony camcorder, right? And then ripped it and uploaded it to YouTube. So you can barely even see like what's going on. And yet still you can see the genius of their artistry and how tight their choreography is, how clear their voices sound. I mean, it literally sounds like they're just playing the album it sounds like they just press play on the album and they're lip syncing or something but I know they weren't because I was there I saw I saw the damn show so I know that they didn't lip sync ever but it's just amazing I don't know how they can sound so close to the record while doing full choreography from beginning to end they were so good like they should be together now they should be doing something it's just so sad Ugh. Okay, I definitely don't have tears in my eyes, so don't ask me if I do because I definitely don't. So there's another interview they did where they were asked if they feel limited by the genre, the teen pop sort of genre. And I think that that's such a silly question because at this point, none of them are teenagers. And not only have they moved on in their journey because we all have to age, but the music industry has moved on in its journey too. Like releasing... No Strings Attached in 2001 wouldn't have worked as well as it did in 2000. The industry is constantly moving and changing. You can either decide to evolve with it or you could stay in your little box. And I think it's clear that they were not doing that. 
And so Lance replies to this question and he says, actually, I think we are the opposite, (laughs) which I love. He's right. He says, I don't think we are limited at all because we play pop. Pop extends into every style of music. We have done songs with so many different styles of artists. You know, anybody from, and then Chris cuts in and says Phil Collins because, yes, they did the iconic Trash in the Camp song from 1999 Disney movie Tarzan, which that movie slaps, the song slaps. It was a moment in time. I personally loved it. But then, yeah, Lance continues and he says, yeah, Phil Collins, Gloria Stefan, Brian McKnight, Stevie Wonder, Richard Marks, and not to mention Alabama, too. Like, they, I mean, they really went into a lot of different genres and then after this they end up collaborating with Nelly on the remix of Girlfriend and I'm surprised that they didn't do that sooner I mean they did do that with Lisa Left Eye Lopez but that wasn't a single I don't even want to think about how awesome the hip-hop collabs with NSYNC could have been I mean well just look at Justin's career you know there you go (sighs) um (laughs) I'm gonna get mad in the next episode you guys I'm going to be I'm going to be ranting on this mic and the and the following one too. Okay, so Lance said we don't want to do bye 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 part 2 and he says, I mean, we are actually very very lucky that we get to play pop because pop crosses over into R&B, pop rock, dance pop, you know, everything. So we are actually in the driver's seat as far as stretching out musically. Chris said, we are just trying to keep the sound innovative too and keep it interesting. You know, we don't want to be stuck with the sound that we had five years ago or two years ago. We want to keep changing our sound and changing what the album sounds like so people are interested in coming out and buying it again or coming out and listening to music or moving on with us. And hopefully a lot of other people will start to go in our direction. Trendsetters. And JC finishes it out by saying, We also know that our core audience is out there. We wouldn't do songs with explicit lyrics and that type of stuff. Really, JC? Because I don't know if you've heard Digital Get Down. (laughs) He says, We do feel that we have that obligation to appeal or at least make the parents happy so they will let the kids listen to our music. So, you know what? I feel like they were probably getting a lot of that shit from the label. And maybe that's why celebrity isn't as sexual as the direction that maybe they were going a little bit on no strings it's not like every song on no strings was sexual but you know what I mean I just think digital get down was out there for for the time honestly it's it sounds strange I got into it a lot more on the patreon version of the no strings episode so you can join patreon if you want to hear that and uh and the extended one of, of this episode as well. But and just very interesting what he decided to say there. Because I feel like Lance and Chris are being like, oh no, we do whatever the hell we want. We can diversify as much as we want. And JC is like, but we don't want to do it too much. We don't want to do explicit lyrics. You have the most explicit lyrics of all five of them, JC. Okay. It seems like JC felt stifled, right? Because he obviously wanted to write more sexual songs. I mean, hello, if you've listened to Schizophrenic. The man literally says the lyric, I lie awake and masturbate. So, you know, just saying. I just feel like so much of this is already telling the story of why we don't have solo music from JC. There's lots of clues here, right? So let's check out a couple of reviews of Celebrity here. So NME gave the album an 8 out of 10, which is... A great score, obviously. That's an amazing score for NSYNC at the time. And NME, which was like a trendy UK music magazine that would do sometimes like edgy photo shoots and stuff. They fat shamed a member of this group. 
Now, girl, I don't understand what these people were smoking, but this is so inappropriate. I actually had no idea ever that people thought Joey was fat. I didn't. I thought he would just joke about being called Fat One because his last name was Fatone. I never saw him as fat. I think Joey is really attractive, like, still. I actually think in some ways he's more attractive now than he was then, but... Compared to JC, he was a little bigger because JC was like ripped. But fat, I just can't. I was listening to another podcast too where somebody was describing NSYNC and they were saying like, you know, if Joey Fatone hadn't been hooked up with Justin and JC, like he never would have had a career. Um, excuse me. Joey is so talented. And I've heard similar things about Chris and Lance. And I'm just like, fuck you guys. Because <sighs> did we not go over this? Like NSYNC had to be the five of them. Period. Yeah, I'm open to a reunion without Justin, but InSync is the five of them. Nobody else would have worked. You couldn't have Jason in there. You couldn't have one of the Backstreet Boys. It's the five of them. So anyway, this review sucks because of what he, they say about Joey, but the rest of the review is is good. Obviously, it's eight out of ten. So it says, despite Joey being fat, Lance being boss-eyed, which... Excuse me, I didn't even know what that meant. I had to look it up. That means that he has squinty eyes? Did Lance have squinty Like, I don't remember that. I don't, I mean, and remember, I mean, I've watched every freaking interview available on the internet. So yesterday when I was watching NSYNC interviews from this time, I didn't notice that. I think it's so rude. Why are you making fun of their looks? Like, even if you don't think that Joey and Lance are like the hottest guys ever, they still are... By society standards, they are two very traditionally good-looking guys. And like, am I am I insane? Like, yeah, I get that they don't look like um, Cary Grant or something, but you know what I mean. Like, they are hot. I don't like. Why is this even in the snack? I don't know. That's my opinion. And when it comes to NSYNC, is there any opinion more valid than someone who was a ten-year-old girl at the height of all this? No, I don't think so. Anyway, so it says, despite Joey being fat, Lance being boss-eyed, and Chris having once sported a pineapple-shaped hairdo, which was iconic, by the way, you guys, haters, InSync are undoubtedly one of the best teen pop groups America has ever given us. They've overcome their considerable physical limitations in that good old-fashioned U.S. way. Through hyper-drilled choreography, superb live shows, and brilliant songs. Thank you! You guys might be fat shamers. Or just liars because Joey wasn't even fat. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's hard to fat shame somebody who's not fat, but you guys managed to do it. So, Joey, if you're listening, you look great. In short, they have a level of professionalism which no British band could ever hope to match. That is a very strong statement. Especially because uh, the Beatles are a British band, the Rolling Stones. Like, that's a very big compliment. The Sync's last album, that's so funny, I've never heard them called The Sync. <laughs> the Sync's last album, 2000's No Strings Attached, raised the pop stakes with its sustained musical brilliance and quite rightly became the fastest selling album of all time. Thank you. All the other magazines are like, wow, <laughs> Sync is, is the record holder. Could you imagine that? And this magazine is like, no, they they rightly deserve that. They they did that shit. Like they InSync was that bitch at the time. I'm sorry. You know, Backstreet Boys were big, but InSync was that bitch. They just were. Okay, so they say, celebrity is pretty damn fine too. 
Though there are more dodgy ballads than on No Strings Attached, a clutch of machine-tooled Swedish pop numbers bristling with computer voices, the game is over, false beginnings, tell me, tell me, baby. I actually love that part because it's JC, you know? And I love anytime they include something on an album that happened in the studio that wasn't supposed to be on the album, but it's just... I'm talking about if you're haven't listened to this album in a while when JC is like um hold on can you back it up just a little bit (laughs) I love that and the inevitable planet-sized choruses don't disappoint I love that planet-sized choruses an uncharacteristically wistful ballad from Khalees producers the Neptunes suits Justin's magnificent voice down to the ground and even Rodney Jerkins proves that he hasn't completely lost it with his juddering production on the title track There are even a couple of sprightly investigations into UK garage music, which the boys churlishly call two-step, on the gooey, the two of us, and the harder up against the wall. Those are my two favorite songs on the album. Well, no, that's not true. It's hard. I I think my top three would be Gone, The Two of Us, and Up Against the Wall, with pop being a very close, like, number four. Which, by the way, okay, first let me read this Rolling Stone And then I'm going to talk about more about pop. So here's part of Rolling Stone's review on this. Although they've always flashed perkier smiles and danced more enthusiastically than that other boy band, NSYNC ultimately set themselves apart with the anxiety in their voices. Yes, there is so much anxiety in NSYNC's music. Uh, Like the, the further you get into their career, the more anxious they are. Where their peers have become unflatteringly self-assured, J.C. Chazé and Justin Timberlake grow progressively more distressed. This is so interesting. Are you guys like fascinated by this? I don't know. I am. That's why I'm doing this. (laughs) Michael Jackson went through a similar transformation when he went solo, and much of celebrity shares that icon's popularity bred defensiveness and fear of lecherous love. It's a drag to hear rich superstars lash out at anonymous gold diggers and those attacks temper the nervous thrills of See Right Through You and other cutting cuts. But the feistiness also suits the album's jumpier, faster grooves. Underground club music hero Brian B.T. Transow goes overground with Timberlake for the beat-driven first single, Pop. And unsung remixers Rip Rock and Alex G go even further with Chazé on The Two of Us and Up Against the Wall. The smooth and schizo... (laughs) The smooth and schizo two-step dance beats on those tracks are a perfect fit for NSYNC's fearful joy yes yeah what did I tell you this album was more crafted by JC than it was Justin period I mean again I'm saying it's just a theory allegedly but it's my theory and I truly believe that nobody has consumed NSYNC content more the past few months than I have like nobody in the world okay I'm telling you this is the conclusion that I'm coming to I just want to talk about pop for a second and then we'll talk about how NSYNC once again, was obliterating the competition and setting the trends and being flawless. So one of my favorite things that NSYNC ever did, ever, ever did, is the making of the video of Pop. Now, when this premiered on MTV and my friend had slept over the night before, my friend Gina, you guys know, I've mentioned her many times, she slept over the night before and my mom and I were going to go drive her home and then this came on and I was like, oh, we can't leave. Like, we have to watch this. And I don't remember what happened, like Gina had to get home or my mom was like, oh, I can't drive her later. I have to do it now, whatever. I stayed home and watched it by myself. I refused to leave the house. (laughs) 
So my mom had to drive Gina and I just stayed home because I was like, I, I was like, I physically can't move. I have to see this. This was the absolute height of my sync obsession, you guys. Wayne Isham is the director. He's bad. He's back. He's here. I'm excited to be back working with the guys in sync, doing pop and a wild adventure that came out of their minds and then melded with mine. For the video, I think what we want to try to convey is a gateway to another world where you can free your mind. The set is a club. The club that never closes. It's, it's, it's a whole other world. It's where we transport everything pop, everything that's popular, pop culture. It's just a place where anything and everything can happen. If you can dream it, it'll happen. The floor that you walk on is a turntable or a light, you know, or everywhere you step is a lighted pathway. Dance sequence, uh, you know, is pretty cool because we wanted to do something unique with the dancing. I don't think people have ever seen us dance like this before. Man, we're going all out. We built our biggest set to date. No half-stepping on this one. I still watch this special all the time. It's kind of... It's up there with Britney's MTV Diary for me. It's like a comfort thing from my childhood that reminds me of a time where this music was just everything to me and I miss that crazed obsession with something like an art form that I just love so much that has supported me throughout my life. And these five guys, I just found them all so freaking adorable and funny and entertaining and creative and interesting to watch. And InSync got a whole hour of making the video. It was normally a half hour show, but InSync got an hour just for this one video. And you could tell why, because this production was huge. It was massive. And it was so different from, again, anything that anybody else was doing and anything that they had done before. The guys have since talked about how absolutely at the end of their rope they were around this time because they literally were shooting almost around the clock. And Lance even said that he was on set for 12 hours without doing a single shot. And he was really pissed because he was like, I could have been sleeping. <laughs> I could have been sleeping during that time. And I just want to say, Lance, if you're listening, I appreciate it, dude. It was worth it because even just this one special and this music video, I mean, it's like implanted in me. Like, it was just such a big deal. They were so huge and I was so obsessed with them. Like, it's like a part of my being at this point. It's not even a piece of pop culture. It just feels like a part of Leah. So if you have not gone back and watched that in a while or if you never saw it, if you missed it somehow... Go turn it on. It's on YouTube. I'll probably watch it again after I record. It's just like a warm blanket for me. First of all, I think Pop was a perfect first single and I think y'all are haters who don't like it. Jive Records actually did not want to release it. They just thought it was too different. It was not radio friendly and it didn't have the pop formula that they wanted to follow. So again, NSYNC kind of thought that they were going to have so much more freedom working with Jive. And they did. It was a lot better than working with Lou Pearlman. But that's kind of like saying, you know, oh, I was I was hired by the Joker and that was really tough. And now I'm hired by Batman, which is a lot better. But still, I, do you want to work for Batman? No, right? Like, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so on May 11th, 2001, MTV broadcast Pop. They were in a tour rehearsal at the time, the group was, and they had called in via satellite to premiere the song. And then it was released on radio on May 14th, 2001. Now, as much as I disagree with Jive's 
opinion that they didn't want to put anything out that was experimental for NSYNC. I totally see where they're coming from because this song was really different. And if you don't know a lot about the ins and outs of music, like if you've never studied music, you might not understand quite why it's so different. I mean, I know when I was a child, I definitely didn't understand it. Like I heard, I heard how different it was, but I wouldn't have been able to explain it in words at the time. And you guys know I do a lot of really extensive research. I never want this podcast to sound like I'm just reading off of Wikipedia, but I did decide to just read the Wikipedia section for this one part because I just think that they described it in a very clear, concise way that your average person who has never studied music will probably understand. And then if there is something that you're not 100% sure, but it means you can go back and look it up. But I know that when I was younger, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have understood it had I not studied music a lot later in life. So I'm not trying to like be condescending. I'm just saying that I really want to point out how experimental InSync got and how much potential they had for the future had they stayed together. The song was produced by BT using his famous stutter edit sound, and the song contains genre transitions such as turntablism, hair metal, and electro-funk. It also includes a dance-friendly breakdown and a Timberlake-performed beatbox, which John O'Brien of Billboard compared to the sound of a drum machine. BT used a total of 3,642 vocal edits in the song. That is insane. And that goes against everything NSYNC stood for, right? Like they wanted that perfect five-part organic harmony. As I said, they thought that they were going to be an acapella group at the beginning. So the fact that they're now going into the studio with this very experimental producer who's using turntablism okay, is amazing. They wanted to try something new. And as a result, I do think that we got one of their best singles. To quote Billboard again, writer Larry Flick described the song as, quote, a crafty anthemic blend of cameo style electric funk beats, Europop synths, heavy metal guitars, and Timberlake's now signature human beatbox riffs. Now, This beatbox to me is completely uncalled for, okay? Like that is one thing that I do really see as a problem. Now, I like everything else they did, but did Justin need to be beatboxing at the end of this song? 100% no. Did Justin need his own section during the No Strings Attached tour to beatbox? 100% no. I, (laughs) no offense or anything, like Justin definitely was improving but if you've ever heard like a real beatbox like a hip-hop artist beatboxing or even if you're just walking down like by the fourth street basketball court in the west village you're gonna hear people beatboxing a lot better than this (laughs) and i just think it's funny that they let justin do this but here's the thing i always thought you know oh justin like he has to have his little freaking moment on pop doesn't he but it was bt that actually encouraged Justin to have this part on the song. And because BT was the producer, he ultimately kind of got the final say. Justin was beatboxing under his breath in the studio. And BT was like, oh, we need to put that in the song. I find that so interesting. Like, I don't really get it, but I... I <laughs> no shade, but I love this song, trust me. Like, I play this song all the time. I still sing it. I still dance to it. But... 
I usually skip it when it gets to the end because I don't need to hear Justin beatboxing for that long. Like, girl. Like, I like that the song is lengthier, but I just don't think it needed that. I like, uh... I like JC's verse so much better anyway. That's actually how I learned the word animosity. I mean, I was a little kid. Like, how the hell was I going to know that word? I remember when he said that. I was like, animosity. What does that mean? (laughs) I had to ask my mom. (laughs) So, yeah, thank you for teaching me vocab words in sync. I also really want to talk about the choreography because even though, yes, in sync was still out to prove a lot with this album. And if they had released more, I do wonder when would have been the point where they didn't feel like they had anything else to prove anymore. But as far as choreography and dancing goes, they had clearly kicked it up to the next level on No Strings Attached. They even had an iconic dance move that was created, which was Darren Henson's idea. He got the Bye 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 fist choreography from inspiration from the Black Power movement. And the hand doing the talking hand movement as they say bye bye bye. That was genius to me. You know, that was so innovative because that was taking something that people do in average conversation. You know, when somebody is like mocking somebody who's talking and they're like, oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. And they do that hand movement with their hand. I love when people bring innovative stuff like that into dance. And I do wonder if Darren was kind of I don't know, I don't know if I should say upset or disappointed that NSYNC didn't bring him on for this third record, but to me, this is when Wade Robson was at the height of his powers, and ultimately, all these years later, what Darren Henson did was more iconic and lasted the test of time more. I mean, you don't see people doing the pop dance all the time, right? But everybody knows that bye-bye-bye talking hand thing or the fist, right? But to me, the choreography from Pop is the best choreography that Instinct ever did. So I do have to hand it to Wade Robson. It might not be the most iconic, but the most iconic is not always the same as the best, in my opinion. For me, the part of this music video where they're all up on the platform and they are doing the choreography during the breakdown when Justin goes, man, I'm tired of singing. Which, by the way, I like that part. I'm sorry. Okay, You guys can yell at me all you want. I love that part. I love breakdowns, okay? Trust me. As Again, as someone who had dance at the forefront of their brain every single day after school, all I did was dance and I traveled around and competed. Like, this was like the Olympics to me of dance. Like, I mean, this this was everything has a group of five dancers ever been that tight before. I mean... I just think the movements are so fluid and perfect and innovative. And I mean, Wade just really, really slayed with this. He did. There's also this Andy Warhol aspect to the video and the VMA performance with Michael Jackson. This pop art type of thing that they have going on. And the way that they edited this video, that should have won a freaking VMA. Just the editing alone. Because the different outfits that they filmed in and then they edit and transition from outfit to outfit as they're dancing. I mean, it's literally, if anybody knows Stacy from the Disney World (laughs) Resort (laughs) videos that they would show when you check into your Disney hotel and you turn on the TV, she describes Disney as eye, ear, and imagination candy. And that is exactly what I think of when I think of this video. Eye, ear, and imagination candy. Did we need Justin in the beginning doing an infomercial? No. If anything, like, I like the idea of it being an infomercial, selling pop 
Like, I think that that's a fun metaphor. He's selling actual pop, like soda, and they are the biggest pop act in the world, and they're singing about pop and all that kind of stuff. I get it. But I think all five of them should have been in that because they were big into doing, like, funny skits and stuff like that. So why did it have to be just Justin? I didn't need him being a game show host. Like, that, it would have been fine if that didn't happen, but (laughs) I love it. I love everything about this music video and the choreography, girl. This was the most expensive music video ever made at the time. It was $2.5 million in the end, all production costs considered. And this is an equivalent of $4.2 million in 2022 money. Can you imagine spending that much on a music video? I kind of wish people would, honestly. I mean, look, There are much more important things you could spend that money on in the world, right? But I miss this sensationalism of of image, you know? It's like that thing that would come across the screen on making the video. Music, vision, video. You know, I miss hearing about Michael and Janet doing Scream and it was this ridiculous $1 million production. And then didn't Busta Rhymes and Janet beat that? I can't remember, but in sync, $2.5 million for this one video. But Jive was willing to put up that money because they were just the biggest thing in the world. They knew they were going to make that money back, girl. Like, I mean, if there was a safe bet on who would make money in 2001, it was in sync. So my favorite performance of pop, by the way, where I just literally sit there with my mouth agape is the Jay Leno appearance that they did to promote this. There's just something about the way they do that dance breakdown in that particular performance. I mean, it was great always, but they just completely, I mean, this is a very cheesy, dumb thing to say at this point, but they were the most in sync I think I've ever seen. They were just so in sync. It's the it's the perfect name for this group. Oh my god. I need a nap. Like I just I can't handle them. They were so good. <sighs> Please do another tour. You guys are killing me. Okay, let's move on. So, once the album came out, it was this huge victory because even though they didn't sell as much as their previous album had which some people were hating on them for by this point a lot of people were saying you know is pop starting to fade out hence the lyrics the fact that this album did so well and NSYNC took second place behind themselves for fastest selling album in a single week it kind of proved that pop was not over and it wasn't going anywhere anytime soon Billboard published an article called In Sync Obliterates the Competition. It says, Celebrity is now the sixth album to be released in the past year to sell more than 1 million units in a week. The set is ahead of the 1.6 million moved by Eminem's The Marshall Mathers LP and the 1.5 million sold by Black and Blue, the most recent effort from the Backstreet Boys. Now remember, Celebrity sold 1.88 in its first week. And it says, The weighty debut was accomplished with no help from radio. With stations cooling on teen pop acts, NSYNC's current single pop is at number 62 on the Billboard Hot 100. Depending on if sales of Celebrity hold up in its second week, the boys could face tough competition from this week's release of the latest Now That's What I Call Music compilation album. I could do a whole series on those, please. So it's actually kind of ironic that the group ended after Celebrity because Celebrity was the album that proved that them doing what they did with No Strings Attached, that was not a fluke. Like, yes, they didn't reach that level of ridiculous numbers, but it didn't really matter to anybody with a brain because it was like, they're still at the top of the heap. They just didn't beat out themselves, but they still beat out every other act in the world. 
It's amazing. There was an article about this published in Newsday called NSYNC's Celebrity Shows Strength Left in Teen Pop Bands. NSYNC topped everyone except itself with the first week sales of its celebrity CD, proving that the deal with this, quote, pop life isn't fading out just yet. <sighs> I'm gonna cry. So, <laughs> though the group's most recent single pop stalled at number 19 on the charts due mainly to a lukewarm reception on radio, it still managed to mobilize its fans in near record numbers. JC said, Nobody is doing the numbers that they did last year when asked about the group's hope for celebrity sales. More fulfilling than initial sales, the group said in an interview, is the fact that Shazé and singer Justin Timberlake wrote or co-wrote the bulk of the album and that the envelope-pushing songs have been embraced by fans. Industry experts say the group's move to a more mature sound was smart since the teen pop boom that initially pushed NSYNC up the charts is running out of steam. See, now that we're all these years removed, I understand that it wasn't that pop was running out of steam or even teen pop was running out of steam. It was just the bubblegum pop. It was just the cheesiness that was running out of steam. What ended up becoming more popular once the years continued was hip hop inspired pop or R&B inspired pop or things like the experimentation that NSYNC was doing on this album, the two-step, working with people like Pajam that have this gospel background, just experimental, like trying different things, like taking a pop artist, taking somebody like Britney Spears, which is like typical like cookie cutter ultimate pop star and then adding in the Neptunes right and so suddenly we have such a stark difference from her first single on Oops which is Oops I Did It Again this bubblegum pop masterpiece that couldn't be more sticky sweet and just filled with Y2K essence then just over a year later, you have this song Slave, which is just so completely vastly different. It actually improves upon Britney, in my opinion. Like, I think Slave is such a better song than Oops. I think Oops is pop perfection. And for that time and for that era, I think it was the best that she could have put out. But then when you just go a year later, you see such a different version of Britney and, and a desire to, again, diversify. And it's funny because a lot of Britney's album from that year is not that much different than what she was doing before. But the lead single, I think, was extremely inspired by what NSYNC and Justin were doing. Britney ended up doing a song with BT simply because she was around Justin and Justin was around BT and Britney ended up being fascinated by him and said you have to do a song for me she wasn't even supposed to do a song for him it's just fascinating for me now to look back because I remember all of this so clearly and I just understand it so much more all right everybody I am gonna have to cut it off there because we are at two hours and I am not done talking about this era I find this era so fascinating more fascinating than I ever even realized it was so what we're gonna do is the next episode we are gonna talk about the two tours the pop odyssey tour and the celebrity tour and then we are going to have to cover the most depressing event in all of our lives the breakup of NSYNC I ugh, I don't even want to talk about it but I'm sure you guys know how I feel so thank you again for having patience with me as I take longer to release these episodes. Life is just so crazy right now. I'm working on a million projects. I have so many exciting things coming both 
on the podcast and outside of the podcast. Make sure you check out the Patreon if you want to hear all about JC's love life. And I will talk to you guys next week. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you guys very soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Ashley and Jessica cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Capria Moon. That's at C-A-P-R-I-A-M-O-O-N. And follow the podcast at Ashley and Jessica cast on Instagram and at Ashley Jessica cast on Twitter. Please let me know your thoughts on the show. I would absolutely love to hear Ashley and Jessica cast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.